I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. So our systems, our brains, our bodies, we're not designed to be steady state, you know, like we're, we're designed to shift. And I am a very big, like I do everything. I don't have a team. I do everything. I have financial people because I don't know anything about that. But like I do my social media. I write my books. I practice my own therapy. I do all of the things myself. And so I'm really big on projects and coming up with different things that I can create and make and teach and whatever. But I have to make sure that I am balancing brake pedal and gas pedal activity. So when I wake up, I have to orient myself to, all right, if I'm, if I'm on the gas, if I'm giving it 90 miles an hour, then when am I going to have some place in my schedule where I can downshift? Because if I keep going at this gear, I'm going to crash into a wall at some point. So it's important to me, not just to get up and go, but to orient myself to where in my ecosystem am I operating and how sustainable is this? Like if I'm, you know, going and giving talks and I'm on planes and I'm all, I need to make sure that the next week I have nothing to do so I can just lay around and watch bad TV and, you know, just read books and hang out because I don't do well if I don't shift between gas and break. Most people don't. So my highest value for my mental health is being oriented and choice-based rather than, oh my God, what do I have to do? I have to do this and I have to respond to that because reactivity is not good for your mental health. Welcome to Self Helpful. I'm your guide, Kevin Miller, and I curate the sea of new personal development messages to bring the most influential leaders onto this show. Join me as I question my guests to better understand their counsel so we can all integrate the wisdom into our lives because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. The Self-Helpful Podcast is presented by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping coaches. Visit Ziggler.com. Hello, Self-Helpful listeners. In this episode, balancing the gas and brake pedals of life. I'm back with neuropsychotherapist and trauma expert, Britt Frank, to hear what drives her. Britt is my expert for this current series on anxiety, as much of the focus of her new book, The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward, is that anxiety is a good thing. It's the body doing what it's supposed to do. It's us not understanding the dynamics of anxiety and the body's natural responses that causes the problems. So you can hear more of that in the previous episode. This is part two with Britt, where I walk with her through the key areas of life. And it's in the mental category where she shares her focus to balance waking up in the morning and putting the gas pedal down with also knowing when she needs to break and downshift to manage her output, recovery, and mental state. The concept of shifting gears and the pause between has come up in multiple shows recently. So we expand on this more here. Well, Britt, as is often the case, we're talking off the mic and we start talking about something that we should have recorded. So it's perfect (laughs) that it's gonna come right in here because you said "Eh, there's a spiritual component to it. But spirituality, to start off there, I want to know where you are, just personal values and what you do to walk those out in your life and the spiritual aspect. So spirituality is a tricky word because it means so many things. So Mm -hmm. 
I, I was part of a very fundamentalist cult for a while. So that's what spirituality looks like for a while. I was raised Jewish on Long Island. So that's what spiritual. So the definition of spiritual that I use is just what do you believe in that's bigger than just our limited experience of our humanity? Like from whom do you take your orders? If everything I do is because I'm afraid of what my mother will think, then my mother is my deity and she is my spirituality. So I'm a deeply spiritual person. The expression of it varies from month to month, from day to day, because I was in such a rigid, prescriptive cult, like, don't do this. You can read this. You can wear this. You can think this. But everything else, if you do it, devils will you know, hijack your brain and you'll be demonized and you'll be possessed and you're going to go to hell. Right. And so part of my spirituality now is the freedom to change the expression. But fundamentally, the thing that I put my spiritual belief in is this idea of, you know, if you get high enough up above the mess of humanity, you know, I do believe we're all, we're all cut from the same stuff somewhere. I don't know how it works or why, but I do believe there's a connection. There's a collective consciousness driving all of this. We just can't access it in our limited humanity, except for flashes. Is there a specific way on a given you know, day or a week that you set aside that you uh, invest in for your spiritual self? Yeah. And, you know, it's been said in some recovery circles, and I agree that if you don't have a spiritual practice by whatever definition you choose, you're not going to have wholeness and happiness and health and vitality and all the things we want. But it doesn't have to be religion. So, um, the most influential book for me that I ever read was called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And it's about recovering like the creativity that is just part of humanity. Like you don't have to be a painter or a dancer, but being creative is just a gift of the human experience. And when we access it, your creativity might be used in business or in sports or whatever, or in parenting or cooking, it doesn't matter. And the practice that she prescribes, I've been doing for 15 years and every morning, it's three long-handed just stream of consciousness journaling. I call it like, it's like brain peeing. Like you're not thinking, you're not trying to write for art. You're not trying to make, you just, some days it's like, I have to go to the bank today and I have to do this and this and this, but sometimes I'm generating business ideas or ideas for that book or whatever. I do not, it's like going to the gym for me. I don't feel right if I don't start my day with three long-handed stream of consciousness and then I don't reread them. Her thing is don't reread it. You don't look in the toilet. Like most people don't look in the toilet. Like you do your thing, you eliminate the excess and then you flush. So I throw those journals out when I'm done with them. Really? Okay. That's different. Uh, cause we often, you know, you're putting your thoughts in there. You should go back and reread them and revisit them, which I'm not really good at doing. Well, you can't cause you throw them away. Okay. I've not heard that before. That's new. It's fertilizer. I have another journal where if I have ideas that I want to revisit, I put those in that journal, but the, they call, she calls them morning pages. The morning pages are most of us get out of bed. Like we're jumping off the bench at a basketball game and life comes flooding at us way faster than our brains are evolved to process. So doing those morning pages just helps me anchor and orient in my body. It helps me sort of get myself grounded for the day and whatever nonsense comes up in those pages is just sort of helping me clear. It's just like a brain dump so I can clear my path for the insights and the actions that I want to be taking. And if I have something really good come up in my morning pages, then I do a voice memo in my phone and I, I put it in my, like, go back to look at this journal later. Interesting. Oh, here's a, here's a, a question just as a therapist, I'll ask you when you look at people's propensities to be more visual or auditory or, you know, kinesthetic or kinetic, kinetic or kinesthetic, kinetic. Um, is there a place for somebody who struggles with, I've never asked this before, written journaling where they could maybe do that auditorially, like take a, you know, speak it out or does it not fulfill the same thing that using your hand to write does? I love that question. And I'm a, I'm a writer. So journaling is part of how my brain makes sense of my world, but not everybody is like the point of the exercise with journaling is to slow yourself down so that you can get in a rhythm with your physiology. So then you can make choices and you can respond to your life instead of just reacting. And if you know, you're a, a 
do things with your hands person, then like any time, and I'm really big on ritual. Journaling is a good ritual for me. But like if you're a woodworking person, like go out and do some 15 minute nonsensical repetitive thing with wood. If you're a, you know, an auditory person, then listen to music. I have some clients who are more like, I need to hear things to get them, record themselves yeah messages yeah. that they can then listen to in the morning and at night like encouraging messages like hey buddy like life sucks right now but like you're gonna make it or whatever but the point is is to get creative if you're not a journaler don't force your like i'm not a breath worker person i don't like doing breath work i don't like forcing i have a like strangulation trauma so trying to force breath is an area i still haven't gotten a whole lot of healing in yet it's just not a priority i just don't do breath work but if you're a breath worker do that the point is is journaling is one of infinite ways to prep your mind and body and soul and spirit to align before you jump into the mess of humanity for the day it doesn't have to be writing uh, thank you. I appreciate that because I'm a writer too. So journaling, I've been doing that since I, as far as I can remember, but I know that some people that's a little more laborious than those who think out loud and or uh, uh, process out loud and whatnot. So I want to pull it out. Okay. Though on the spiritual aspect to what we were talking about when we let off and we were talking about, actually, I pulled it out of your book, page 54, and you have signs of unresolved trauma, and you have indecisiveness over apologizing, difficulty saying no. And then the one that I pulled out, ADD, ADHD, OCD. I thought, wait a minute. I didn't think of ADHD as that. I just thought that, again, kind of like anxiety, we tend to think, oh, it's just something you got uh, passed down to you, caught it somewhere that ADHD is. I just have this brain abnormality, I guess. That's how it does. So I have to figure out ways to manage that. And your statement to that was feeling like, no, that's trauma because our the design is correct or it should be correct. Well, you say it. You, you said there's a form of spirituality or an aspect of spirituality to that. Go to that in regards to, yeah, your statements on trauma. And my disclaimer, because I get a lot of really mean DMs on my Instagram, like, okay. how dare you say that I have trauma? I have ADHD just because my brain is this way and nothing bad ever happened to me. I'm like, all right, well, that's a real big statement. If you were born and you're grown, surely somewhere between then and now, something suboptimal has has happened and your brain has indigestion. But it doesn't mean your symptoms aren't real and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take medication and it doesn't mean that your pain is invalid. It means if you look at the design, I mean, really, if you look to science, I don't understand how science and spirituality became so divorced from each other. Agreed. Because if you look at the organization of the universe, it is absolutely music. It's poetry. Like, I love listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about science because it's such a profound source of connection. So if you look at our brains, like if you look at an image online of your brain cells and then you Google images, galaxies, the images are almost identical. And if you look at what a seedling looks like as it's sprouting and you look at the neurons in your brain, they look exactly the same. So I subscribe to the, the design is perfect when things go wrong, which they do, of course they do. It's not because you're defective, it's because there's an injury somewhere. And it could be that six generations ago, one of your family members was in a war. And so their wife was constantly anxious. Therefore, every baby from that generational line was bathed in a sea of cortisol. Like, I don't yeah. know, yeah. but ADHD, and I have OCD. So again, I understand like how problematic it is, but I do not subscribe to the, my brain is broken. You know, our bodies can become injured. You know, our lives can become injured and we can become completely battered by circumstance. But the design of our brains is in fact perfect. If it's not doing what it's supposed to do, something has gone wrong. And what and why, I don't know. I don't have an answer to why do bad things happen. I, but I, it's no, I'm, I'm fascinated with that concept because again some things i hadn't thought along those lines like adhd which I, I i deal with and for you to say that there's an injury somewhere it could have been in your past you know three generations ago that that brought this down then would you say go after that injury you know we're going to root that out is it always possible to heal that injury or sometimes do we simply need to figure out how to, I'm going to say, manage or mitigate that? And I can take that question to where we started off with on our first show together of you taking meds, you today and understanding so much 
then we could buy, I guess maybe that, does that come around and answer the question somewhat? You have some areas where you feel like I haven't been able to heal those. They're, bro they're to a place of brokenness. I can't fully heal them, but I can manage, mitigate them. That's a really good, because again, if we had to sit and heal every quirk about our personality, like we like, it would just be this navel gazing introspective mess. So yeah. I have some quirks about my personality that I get are probably not fundamental to the design. Like I'm super, super tactile and I like, um, like spectrum me, I need to stim a lot. So I have fidget toys and I have to be doing things with my hands most of the day or my system sort of goes into disarray. I don't know why that's a thing. I don't care why it's a thing. I just carry fidget toys with me when I go places. And so you don't have to heal everything. Anything that ails you, you can look at, again, to the degree that you have access to resources and relative safety and you have choices. You can look at any given thing and ask yourself, do I want to symptom suppress? Do I want to accommodate or do I want to heal? Now, I don't take medication, so I don't like, the tactile thing, I'm not suppressing it. Like I still demonstrate, I get fidgety if I don't have something to have in my hands. So I'm not suppressing the symptom. I'm not healing it because frankly, I don't care why I have it. I can accommodate it. And I think symptom accommodation is the happy medium between root cause resolution and just medicate and okay. it gets bad rap. Like there's nothing wrong with symptom accommodation. If you can accommodate something, then that's a good use of your resources. Cause I have things that I want to focus on healing much yeah. more than why do I need to fidget? So symptom accommodation, totally valid. I want to ask just on that. You said, do I want to symptom suppress, accommodate or heal? Are you going to attest that it's always a want or is it sometimes a question of can you literally yeah. kind of like, Oh, go. Yeah, it's what are your choices? So, you know, I have the privilege of having access to therapy and having financial resources that I get to choose which of those three options I want. But sometimes you can't. But then it's what are my actual choices? Don't beat yourself up about root cause resolution if right now the only option to you is symptom suppression. Sometimes that's all that's available. And that's then you have to get real honest about what are your options? If okay. you don't have the choice to go to therapy and take time off of, I mean, I took a year off of life to deal with some of my stuff. I was able to do that because I don't have kids and I was willing to sort of eat a lot of ramen noodles and slug it out. But what are my choices is a really important preamble to what am I going to do? Yeah. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to air doctor comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping, go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off exclusive to podcast customers. You will also receive a free three year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to a I R D O C T O R P R O.com use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, 
but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Well, you just mentioned you don't have kids. And the next one is relationships. And you actually mentioned that in our first talk together that, you know, you guys chose not to. And it's interesting because I just had this discussion with, I can't remember who it was, but on that, uh, I had, you know, with me having nine kids and them having none and looking at that, we have a culture that tends to value so much, you know, having, well, getting married, got to get married or you're not whole, you got to have kids or you're not whole or whatever. And it makes no logical sense. And some of my closest friends are, uh, have no kids. And I realized over time, that, okay, there are some things that I'm experiencing that they're not going to get to experience. So got that some, you know, some, some great glories and, and whatnot. And there are some things that they're experiencing and doing that I am not able, I don't know how to do with what I have, the path that I have chosen but either way, are we less or more whole because of X, Y, Z? And I want to throw that one out. So I appreciate <laughs> you bringing that up. But I, but so on relationships, when we look at that, uh, tell me about your values. And then again, what you're doing to walk those out in relationships. Mm. The thing with the kids is so wild to me because it's like the only people who I have ever gotten shame from for not having kids like some people are like that's an interesting choice and you'd be such a good mother and aren't you going to miss out on blah 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 but the right. people who really just are like sharp and judgy about it are usually the ones who are not super satisfied with their own life choices so i'm like any life has the capacity for wholeness happiness and love if you are constructing a life that is u-shaped so i could have a bunch of kids and that's not going to work for me and so then i'm going to be all resentful or whatever but again we were talking about grief in the first episode yeah. i'm very happy with my choice but everything that you say yes to means you get to grieve all the things that you didn't say no to it doesn't mean it's a bad choice but my highest value with relationships now having been through just a train wreck of trying all different iterations is they don't have to look like we were told they have to look like, you know, like choose your own adventure. Relationships function best when they are constructed in a way that makes sense. So again, I'll use my husband. You know, we got married later in life. He was single. He's former military. He was a naval officer. He is neat as a pin. Like this man. I am not. I am more la la. I leave stuff everywhere. You know, I'm not like dirty, but I'm I'm not concerned with keeping things neat as a pin. We have separate rooms. It's not because we don't love each other, and it's not because we don't like each other. It's because why argue about sharing a space when we have the choice so he can be super neat and clean in his room and I can be messy in mine. But in the relationship rule book, you're not supposed to do that. So my highest value with relationships is honesty with yourself about yourself. So then you can communicate to your partner what you need and what you expect in a way that is functional because our life together wouldn't work if I had to be as clean and tidy as he is. That's really interesting uh, that you bring that up because the whole co-sleeping thing has always been odd to me that when you get married or have a significant other, you know, then you generally have, have sex. And from that, you share a bed together and keep each other awake, snoring or tossing or turning. <laughs> and why did you do that? And, you know, back in the day, we I remember, um, I think my grandparents or one set had separate beds in one room, but even more so to have separate beds. And this is interesting. It made me remember, it's been probably a year and a half ago. I think she's, she's at Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, whatever professor Zoe Chance. I just pulled her book up. It's on my bookshelf back here. I had her on the show. Uh, and it's her book's called influence is your superpower. She was divorced. She married a guy. They were both like in the same town, same neighborhood, both had houses and they just kept them. And they come together and have fun. And at some points, they just go back to their house. And I thought, dude, that is so countercultural, but she just loves it. She says it's awesome. And being an introvert, and uh, I can I can deal with that. So you have separate rooms. I think that's 
way cool. It's horrifying to some people. They're like, but you know, what about sex? Like you said, you don't need to be unconscious together for eight hours to make a happy relationship. Like you're awake when you have sex. And then like you go back to, you know, sometimes we're at my place, quote, sometimes we're at his place. But at the end of the night, we need to be unconscious alone because he snores and I'm a thrasher. I love, I'm writing that down. You don't have to be unconscious for eight hours a night to have a good relationship. That's just funny. Uh, and we need a t-shirt for that. <laughs> uh, we, that's awesome. I love it. Uh, well, health and wellness, uh, is the next one. So tell me about your, we talked about that in the first episode together just in regards to how your physical wellness helps your, can help your, should help your body be able to do like what you said, be designed correctly and regulate itself. And yet if it's out of whack, we can't do that as well. So as a practitioner, I'm sure you see that every day. Uh, so tell me first off, just your own values when it comes to health and wellness. Sleep is probably my, like, I prioritize sleep over pretty much everything. Having spent the first 30 years of my life not having good sleep and then taking speed, which, you know, going days without sleep when you start seeing things and you hear voices and life gets really, really weird. I do not function on less than eight hours of sleep. And so, you know, as much as I have trouble, like the next person with balancing life's obligations and whatnot, I do make sure that I get a, there's a lot of research that says, even if you think you're functioning on four hours of sleep, the human brain is designed to need a certain number of sleep hours. And that is not a negotiable, like you might be functional, but that doesn't mean you're optimizing your health. So I sleep. It's really important to me to exercise. I, I get really unpleasant to be around when I don't. But because of my eating disorders, going to a regular gym doesn't work for me because I have such a history of associating traditional gym workouts with punishing and restricting and withholding. So I do circus because it's an art form that requires a tremendous amount of physicality, but I do pull-ups in sequence and I get to twirl. And so I get to like get my creative kicks out doing that. And it's so hard that there's no thinking. Like you're not thinking. Like I can think while I run. I can think while I bike. But if I'm hanging upside down by one knee, I'm not thinking about anything other than don't puke, don't fall. Don't puke, don't fall. So I do that. <laughs> and then food-wise, yeah. I'm really big on knowing that some days the kale is the medicine and on some days kale is poison. And on some days cupcakes are medicine and some days cupcakes are poison. And I need to pay attention to my own body so I know what's what and like when is certain types of food healthy and when is even the healthy stuff not healthy and so it's like an 80 20 thing for me with food well i want to pull in on you talking about eating disorders i've got uh some experience on all sides of those and i think my kids would say that i have my own eating disorder and to some degree but to the point that you do i i or have and shared about i don't think so too much. And that's, I appreciate that because I've heard that from other people who have dealt with it, that on a certain day, you know, having that dis eating disorder, the regimented abstinence, whatever can be far worse than the, well, I don't know what we say that I was gonna say the giving in, but is that an unfair way to place it? Well, if it's conscious, you know, like there are, I mean, there are certain times in the, in the month where eating five guys actually gives me energy. And I know the difference where if I, again, if I've been eating protein shakes and kale salads, occasionally I, I'm so active that I need red meat every now and then to feel okay. But if I'm like, no, I have to eat the salad. I have to make sure my macros are just so, but at the same time, there are some days where if I'm like, I don't care about my health, I'm just going to eat five guys. I feel like crap and it takes me a month to recover. And so getting really tuned in there. Yes, there are general operating principles for eating that we can all sort of agree to, but everybody is, everybody's body is so specific. But if I'm tuned in, I know when I need to eat what and in what amounts. And it's amazing to me that when I listen to my body, it works. When I try to manage my body with do this, do this, do this, I feel like crap. Would you, would you say an, an aspect of that is feeling, you said being tuned in, you said that a couple of times, <clears throat> being tuned in emotionally. So even if you know that you, you know, should, it would be best for your body per se to be eating your kale and, and whatever. And yet emotionally you're feeling what burnout or bitter about it, or even imprisoned to it, that it may not be, you may be better off to make a, a, a decision that may not be 
per se best for your body. You know, uh, it's you know fried chicken and whatever, but it's going to be best for your emotions, best for your soul. And in that sense, it's going to, you're going to put that as a priority over the other in this moment. Which is good for your body. So like, let's say that I, I haven't had cake in months and months and I have a sweet, I have a raging sweet tooth. So let's say I haven't had cake in months and months and I am managing my diet and I am eating perfectly whatever. And now I have so much cortisol because my system is so frustrated and resentful. It's like, you know, again, we're complex. So emotionally I have little kids inside me having temper tantrums. I want cake. I want cake. I want cake. And if I ignore them too long, then the like the stress of trying to be at war with my head, eat the cake, don't eat the cake, eat the cake, don't eat the cake, is not going to be good for my physical health either. either. So if I am not restricted, I'm not talking about being indulgent or giving in. I'm saying occasionally I eat cake and it doesn't seem to have any adverse effect on my health, if anything. The fact that, and again, this is a commitment to reality, sugar is a drug that makes you feel good. I don't use opiates or methamphetamines anymore. And sometimes I, and I'm not a big drinker. So sometimes I want to feel good. So yes, I will eat cake. I will eat one piece, not the whole thing. And then I'm not at war with myself. And then it's a few months before that becomes a thing again. But you know, life's short. I eat cake. I short eat cake. I was going to say, did I root out a couple of vices here? We got five guys, cheeseburgers, I think. (laughs) Cake. Is that, did I just hit two top list items there? I really love like cheeseburgers. In and out is my favorite, but I moved to the Midwest. So it's five guys. And I love, I just really like cake. It's just so much fun. Like I, it's, I was so restrictive. It just always feels like you're celebrating when you eat cake. I don't overeat it. You know, I don't make myself sick, but like, yeah, cake is totally available. I don't have diabetes, so that's not a medical restriction. So, you know, for some people it is, but again, if you ask yourself, what does a full joyous life look like? Some people don't care about eating sugar. I do. So I will. Yeah. I am never without, I try to make it a better one. Dark chocolate covered almonds, especially with sea salt. They're, they're at every place that I ever, if I spend a moment there consistently, I've got some hidden somewhere, but then on the celebratory aspect, I, you know, I got to watch this as well, but is wine. Wine is abundance and celebra- you know, celebratory uh, for me. Well, hey, next one is mind and mental health, which of course this is your, you know, this is your area. This is your vocation is mind and mental health. But I like to even put it, Britt, in the terms of like your mental state that, you know, what is your goal for the day when you wake up? This is where you want to be. So what would, in that aspect, what would you say? This is my value for my, uh, for my mental health. Oh, that's such a good question. So our systems, our brains, our bodies, we're not designed to be steady state, you know, like we're, we're designed to shift. And I am a very big, like I do everything. I don't have a team. I do everything. I have financial people because I don't know anything about that. But like I do my social media. I write my books. I practice my own therapy. I do all of the things myself. And so I'm really big on projects and coming up with different things that I can create and make and teach and whatever. But I have to make sure that I am balancing brake pedal and gas pedal activity. So when I wake up, I have to orient myself to, all right, if I'm, if I'm on the gas, if I'm giving it 90 miles an hour, then when am I going to have some place in my schedule where I can downshift? Because if I keep going at this gear, I'm going to crash into a wall at some point. So it's important to me, not just to get up and go, but to orient myself to where in my ecosystem am I operating and how sustainable is this? Like if I'm, you know, going and giving talks and I'm on planes and I'm all, I need to make sure that the next week I have nothing to do so I can just lay around and watch bad TV and, you know, just read books and hang out because I don't do well if I don't shift between gas and break. Most people don't. So my highest value for my mental health is being oriented and choice-based rather than, oh my God, what do I have to do? I have to do this and I have to respond to that because reactivity is not good for your mental health. And um, celebration, which you were just talking about, is such, I'm so glad you mentioned it because celebrating to me is one of my highest mental health values. But in our culture, we think of celebrating as indulging. 
any true mentally healthy celebration should make you feel more like yourself, not less. So if your thing is wine or sugar or whatever, there's a point at which it's not bringing you towards yourself. It's taking you away from yourself. Yeah. So I bake in celebrations every people think my, I remember the first time my husband saw me like celebrate when I put my laundry away, like it made it from washer to dryer to closet in the same three hours. And for me, that's a big deal. And I'm like, woo, and I celebrated and I door dashed donuts and it was awesome. And baking in celebrations for the silly little stuff actually creates the dopamine that you're going to need to execute the bigger things that you want to do. So celebrating is not indulge and just be frivolous. It's get close enough to yourself that you can access your own dopamine. So then you can go do the harder things that are on your plate. So my mental health is celebrating and being choice-based rather than reaction-based. Nobody has ever said that. And if I ever get asked that, I'm going to use the celebration aspect because it, it is, it's key to me. And people who know me know that. Are, do you um, mess with the Enneagram at all? Yeah, I'm a three, four. You're a three, four. Okay. I was going to want because I'm a seven, which celebrating is kind of high on the list there uh, as, as well. But, uh, man, I, I appreciate that. And what you said about balancing the brake pedal and the gas pedal, but you actually went further and you said downshift, which we've been using that. that that's come, this is probably the third time now it's come up for it about which people are going to forget how to the analogy because we don't have manual shift cars anymore, but how we go along, it hit me of, this perspective, how we go along in first gear, man, and we're just redlined and we're maxed out and we want to do something better when we think oh, just more gas. Think if you don't push the clutch in and take that pause, you can't get, I love the analogy where it's a, it's a poor one these days because people don't know what a manual car is, but I love that. So I appreciate that you said the downshift, that's how we can get into the next gear and go forward. It's a, I, thanks for pulling the analogy out. Go on YouTube. Like this is this is such a big deal. And I wish people right. more people knew how to drive manuals. I'm not good at it, but I get the yeah. you're 90 miles. Go on YouTube because there are like knuckleheads going 90 miles an hour in fifth that all of a sudden shift from fifth to first. And you can see what happens when they do this. Our brains are the same. We treat our brains like they're an automatic. Why on Friday night am I not able to relax? I'm like, you've been going 90 in fifth and now you're expecting yourself to be in first. You have to downshift. And our clutch is all of these different things like rituals, like spiritual practices, like you know, celebrations because our brains cannot go from fifth to first or first to fifth. They can't. That's why we feel the way, we, you know, the mental health crisis is a, is a clutch crisis, if anything. I, I, it's, it's great. And I just haven't had somebody pull it into that. And yeah, I was thinking before when you talked about it, I have learned through trial and error, error, cause I, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. To, to in essence, budget. Then just like you said, if I'm going to go, I, I was at an event, uh, last week. And then I went right into a big family gathering. All, uh, most all the kids were at home, whatever. And this weekend I'm out of here. Uh, so I'm, I'm gone and I'm going to take off. I might, my wife and I might go, or I'm going to go by myself. We haven't decided yet, but I'm going to get away and looking at that as opposed to the no limits back to what we talked about before, no limits, no excuses, no whatever. And that everything we have, well, how would you say it mentally, emotionally is is not finite. I mean, we get depleted and we've got to honor that. Yeah. It's like a car, you know, like I may not like that my car has a gas tank that eventually will need to be refilled. And when my car yeah. runs out of gas, I can sit on the side of the road and yell at myself and ask myself, why am I so lazy and beat myself up for being weak? But it's like, you can do all of that. You could chant affirmations all day, but your car is out of gas. So let's get to the gas station and fill it up so you can be on your way. And we overcomplicate our brains. It's not about weakness or strength. It's about you have chemicals in your body that you didn't get to put there. You have a brain that's designed in a way that you didn't get to choose the operating software. So let's just work with what is rather than what I wish it were or, you know, how I wish it could be. You know, it's, a, it's not a good use of our energy. Well, I'm going to bring it back to what you said in the first show together about 
metabolizing and in, in essence, you know, the emotional or, you know, whatever an event happens or uh, emotional or circumstantial or whatever happens and your ability to metabolize it well, because as we look at this, like social uh, engagement, so social engagements, I, I mean, I get, I, I get, they're inspiring. I mean, I, again, I was four days with a bunch of people down in Dallas at an event and I spoke at it and we did breakout groups and it was, it was great. And it depletes me. Whereas if it was my wife, if she had been there, it would have just further energized her. She's like getting plugged in, man. When she's with people, it does that. So when the, when the kids are all here, so we get a house full and there's, you know, whatever there is, 11, 17 people for a weekend are here. And she's just like the energizer bunny, man. It's like just being plugged in. I'm there. It's good. And when it's over, I'm done. And, and just being aware of that kind of back to that limits and stuff of being, I guess you would say just being aware of ourselves and knowing that and not what well, we said, judging, I guess, is that still the best word? Not judging. It just is what it is. It's really separating the evaluation from the judgment. So I, I'm an introvert as well. And so I, I, I require and, in, and I love speaking, I love being with people, but I am just knocked on my like I need time to recover so mm -hmm. I can evaluate that without attributing a judgment. Well, that's bad. I shouldn't, I should be just grateful that I get, it's like, okay, okay. Let's separate evaluation from judgment. Cause once you take the judgment off, then you just evaluate the factors. It's very pragmatic. It's like approach your mental health stuff. Like you would a business plan. It's like, this is what it is. Here are your factors. What are your choices of those? What are you willing to do? And then that gets us moving a lot faster than why is this? And this shouldn't be this way. And I should, whatever. And it, it, again, it is what it is. And a lot of our struggles come largely from fighting because we don't like what is, which I get. F well, and back to what you said earlier, being at war with yourselves, uh, with yourself and that, gosh, that feels like such a high point in all this. So separating evaluation from judgment. Okay. That's a takeaway for me uh, from this. Next one, Britt, is work career business but you know your your vocation what you do and i'm going to ask you yeah what you value because you like every pretty much everybody i have on on the show you've got a lot of things going and you're usually on here because you got a new book and so there's a lot more opportunities a lot more things calling for your attention um people like me asking you to be on the show and uh and here you are so when you look at that what are your values that you're trying to walk out in your work so my, I have organized my entire life and I have worked very, very hard to structure my life where I have agency over my time. I mm. have spent many, many years working for other people, making other people a lot of money, you know, giving other people great ideas that then they built, working a hundred hours a week in service of someone else's vision. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and not everyone needs to be. For me, I don't want to interface with humanity until I've had at least three hours in the morning for myself. I want to work out. I want to journal. I want to just lay there with my dog and look out the window and just think about whatever. Cause I generate lots of my ideas from lots of stupid, bad ones. That's just how creativity <laughs> works. So my highest value is the, the project because there's so many projects I would love to do and so many things I'm interested in, but I say yes to things that promote is saying yes to this thing, going to bring me more freedom and flexibility with my time or less. And again, like writing a book, obviously I didn't have freedom and flexibility. I knew writing that book was going to be up all night, getting ideas, being woken up at three in the morning, getting my notebook out so I don't lose them. But I also knew that writing the book would have a follow-up where I could relax. And then all of my ideas now exist in written form. So I don't have to be in the room to get these ideas across. So ultimately I sacrificed short-term flexibility for long-term. Now people can read about the nervous system without being in my office. So freedom and flexibility with time is, is really my highest priority. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I get that. And yeah, I want people to hear that I've been such an advocate of being an entrepreneur for so long because of that, because of the flexibility and the autonomy and the wealth building opportunity and whatnot. But, uh, it's not the Holy grail, but if you look at the points, what are those things that are important to you and people can find them in employment as well. It's, I think it's, it's, it's more rare. But, uh, but yeah, I, I get that dramatically. Next one right off of that is money and finances and wealth. And you got, you and I have talked both about uh, money is not our favorite place 
playground to play in, I guess, as far as that. And would you, would you look at that and say, it's because it sounds altruistic somewhat to say, oh, I'm not mo- motivated by money. I've kind of come off of that though, because I, I need to be somewhat, uh, or, sure. or otherwise I'm not going to get any, but so when you look at that, yeah. Where do you feel, I'm going to say where, you know, where again is your value financially, but I'd even ask because you brought it up about your emotions around it. Mm. And my, I, I'm really good at making money and I really like money and I'm not altruistic. Like I, I expect to be compensated and I value my time and what I do, but once I make it, I don't want to know how to manage it. So like, how do you allocate for taxes and how do you do invest? Like that stuff I have no interest in. And so my financial planners are always laughing. They're like, you're, you're great at generating money, but like you actually have no interest in no, I'm like, I don't want to know. And then I have to manage my princess parts. Like, yes, I need to know what they're doing. But I think that again, I work with people often on their money stories because money is not, is neither positive nor negative. It's neither good nor evil. Money is just a form of energy that can be used to further their good can be used to promote evil. And it, the money is really not, the money is a vehicle. Money itself is not the problem. And the more money you make, the more options you'll have. So I've sort of rewired my money stories. The more money I make, the more freedom and flexibility I have to invest in other people that might need it, to invest in projects that maybe can't pay me, but I believe in them and I make enough money that I can afford to support whatever they're doing. So the desire for wealth and abundance is not the problem. It's when the choices that you're making compromise your spiritual, personal integrity. So that's sort of, again, a fine line you have to pay attention to. But if we're just talking dollar for dollar, I could open up a group practice. So I'm a licensed clinician. I could easily hire 10 people today and be making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars having them practice and taking a cut. The thought of having to manage people and to make sure that everyone's being ethical and safe and all of the, like, no thank you. But that doesn't mean I don't care about the money. It just means I'm going to find a better way to make it. So again, think of money. I think of money as an energy. And if I'm in alignment, if I'm in integrity, if I am making choices based on what I know to be true, and again, assuming that I have relative access to resources and I have the privilege to have choices, not everybody does. Um, For me, money is more of like the, this is what, your, the overflow is it's not money's not the root of all evil like stupid people who have money are going to do stupid things good people yeah. who have money are going to do good things so money's energy you're the second person to ever say that to relate it to energy and i got it first from ken honda uh he has a book called happy money he's you know japan's number one self-help guy and that's what he talks about it it's an energy is it happy or is it sad money not only in how we feel about spending it, but even, you know, and how we do and making it. It's really gotten me to think about that because I think, okay, I like what I do. So the money I make, I'm happy about that. But sometimes I'm spending money that without thinking about it, I'm not happy about like the mechanic, you know, and I blew a tire out and I got to replace all four because it's an all wheel drive car and there's 1500 bucks or whatever. And, but looking at it as an energy, and you, you also said a vehicle, I think, um, mm-hmm. that's stout. I, I, I resonate with you on that. Uh, next one's, interests like personal interests Britt. just the things that you do for you you even mentioned it you know earlier you're gonna sit down or lay down with your dog and look out the window and it's just something that you're doing for yourself i like to put it it, when possible because i'm sure that you enjoy and get energy and inspiration from all the things that you do from your work and from those things but this is kind of in a non-productive aspect the things that you do that's just for you which ultimately is productive but in and of itself intrinsically may not be productive what uh, what do you do that inspires you so i'm big on now that i'm an adult who has some financial you know resource available i'm going to recreate the childhood of my dreams so i joined an amateur student circus troupe and we perform and it's really fun i play piano and i take lessons with all the little kids at miss sarah's up the street and we have recitals where it's me and like two other adults and this group of adorable little kiddos all really nervous doing our recital. it's such a hoot it's so much fun um i really love my friends and my friends who understand that I'm an introvert know I, I, I go in spurts where I'm really connected and then I disappear and they accept that. And that's great. Um, 
you know, I, I love spending time alone now that I'm not afraid of what's inside my head. I love taking walks. I love just sort of being, you know, in my own space. Cause I never was, I never had the safety or the skill level to enjoy or be curious about my own inner space. But like my, I don't need to take drugs anymore. My head goes to some pretty wild places all by itself. And it's like, wow, that's an interesting world I just constructed there. And then I like to noodle around on Bill. This is such a silly, this is a new thing. I like to build these little book nooks. They're like dioramas with like little benches and little scenes and you put them in your bookshelf. It's just like this mindless, ridiculous, I'm gluing, I'm cutting, I'm gluing, I'm cutting. It's just fun for me. I tried crocheting. I wasn't good at that. I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, I just dig that you've got stuff down there. It's I'm, I'm always interested in it because it's something, this area that I have learned to put value in again, when I realized I didn't play anymore, I didn't have you know fun. Everything had to be productive. And I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of you, you know, in your, in your role, do you see do you put value on this area? Obviously I do, I wouldn't have it in there, but put this value, because we have so many people these days who don't, man, they take care of, you know, whatever, they do family, they do work, and that's kind of pretty much it. There's no time for hobbies or interests, or whatever, and those are a luxury. And I get to feel like, man, I talk to people like you and I see the inspiration. I think you going to do piano with a bunch of little kids makes you a more inspired, more energetic, enthusiastic, happy Brit that I benefit from. So please, for the love of God, go play piano before doing something that you should do. So similar feelings? You know, there's the, the especially for my super high, mostly the like women have trouble with this too, but especially the super high achieving, high functioning men who are like play, no, it's like, Okay, but there's science to why play is going, play is good for your bottom line. Play is actually going to unlock creativity and innovation. Play is going to be the vehicle that gets you with these very practical sort of like hard things that you want to do. So play is not a luxury. Play is a necessity for our biology. And again, you can fight that all you want, but I didn't design the brain and you didn't either. Our brains are designed to need play. So I usually get out a whiteboard and I diagram it out and I assign them certain talks and certain like videos online to watch that justify from hard scientists why play is not a luxury. It's a necessity for the lives that we say we want. And then very begrudgingly, I might get them to play catch or something outside. Well, I appreciate you pulling that up because yeah, I think we have this cultural tendency to look at it as either, oh, they're just playing off, they're irresponsible, or they're over here playing and it's a luxury. Oh, they can afford to. And man, I find the people that I, that, and that's what I'll ultimately uh, flip the switch for me, Britt, was finding some of the people that I most wanted to be around, that I was most elevated by were people that were playing. And here I was saying no till they quit asking me anymore. I'm saying no because I'm taking, you know, I'm Superman and I'm taking care of the world begrudgingly and with some bitterness and with, and oh my gosh, and now uh, my kids are excited when I'm going to take off and go on a mountain bike ride because they know it just makes me a happier dad. Uh, so uh, thanks for pulling that out. And this is a, uh, just a joy. Thank you so much for your sharing, you know, your personal life, but also sharing in regards to what you see in your role as a leader and influencer in this uh, aspect of emotions and anxiety and getting us out of unstuck. Maybe that's it. Get unstuck, but go play to get unstuck. Hey, thank you. This has been just a joy. I can't wait to share this with everybody and to keep digging in further. And I'm maybe pounding your email address with some questions on some of these paradigm shifts that you've given me. Britt, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, that is part two in this series on anxiety and my expert on the topic, neuropsychotherapist Britt Frank. Her book, again, is The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. Uh, coming up next then is part three, and I bring in a past guest and a friend of Britt, uh, Britt's Vienna Farone, uh, like Fahrenheit. Vienna Farron, author of The Origins of You. Uh, I'm going to get her perspective and her insight on anxiety and Brit's message. Friends, thank you for tuning into Self Helpful, where I curate the sea of new personal development materials and help you integrate wisdom into your life because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. 